Let's get me viral. I'll make it like fan camp. Chlamydia. <laughs> Welcome back to the front three with me, Lawrence McKenna, and two other guys. Adam Botwood's not here. What does the podcast do? Dave, it's good to have you. Cheers, Lawrence. Thanks a lot, mate. But it's also good to have Chris Hennage. Chris, welcome back. Oh, oh interesting. Um, pretty good. W- a world specialist on a number of footballing subjects. Um, are you going to do a PhD at some point? No, I've, I did university for three years. I think that was the, the end of my education. Yeah, Q&A's over for this week. Let's get down to furious fans uh, and, and plenty more <laughs> on, on this week's podcast. Uh, we do have some interesting things for you, uh, including, I believe, Ronaldo. Um, not the Ronaldo chat about him, but close enough. Um, Dave, tonight the Champions League literally just finished, uh, and you were watching Manchester United take on PSV. What, what's the verdict? It's just absolute rubbish, isn't it, Lawrence? Why? Utter, utter rubbish. Why? I just it's sick of watching this team play rubbish football. Yeah, it was awful today. What's rubbish I, though? What, what do you mean another, by rubbish? Another ninety minutes of watching the ball go from the centre back to the centre mid. To the centre back, to the centre mid, to the full back. Holds it. Holds it. I don't. I don't get what your problem is. Is it not? Is this? I don't get what the problem is, Dave. I think it's it's the problem with the philosophy, maybe Lawrence. Sorry, are you? I don't understand what you're complaining about. The style of play. There's not enough penetration, is there? There's not. That is the that is the biggest thing. There's not enough penetration. There's not enough people taking people on. There's not enough chances going into the box. There's not enough shots at goal. There's not a lot of goals. Look at the scoreline tonight. Manchester United nil, PSV nil. Yeah, but the point is PSV nil, right? Well, that is the point. But then that puts Manchester United on eight points in the group, leaving them in a pretty dark dark spell going away to Wolfsburg, who have scored eight goals in their last two games, um, with PSV playing CSK Moscow at home. If you saw the any of the Wolfsburg versus CSK Moscow game, Igor Akinfeev, he's not even a goalkeeper. The first goal that uh, Wolfsburg scored, Andre Schill gets put gets uh, put through on the right wing. He's he's by the byline. He cracks the ball across the box, and um, Akinfeev managed to put it into his own goal. The second one comes along, same player, Andre Schill has a has a go at goal, and it looks like the keeper could literally put his hand down and stop it, mm. and it, and he goes with his feet, and it's just Igor Akinfeev. What are you doing? Mm, those fan cams must be going furious. Christy, <laughs> you called uh, Manchester United's football boring today? I, ha- <clears throat> I have recently, um, and it got me a lot of criticism. And It's difficult, I think, when, when a team is, is winning, in this case in the Premier League, to just paper over everything and just say that it's fine. You know, they're second in the league. They hadn't conceded, I think, in something like 600 minutes before the Watford game at the weekend. I, th- I think you can take that Machiavellian approach and say the ends justify the means. I think also that's a little bit dangerous because eventually, if those results drop off, it then means that you're left evaluating the entire structure and questioning every strut. And, exactly. and that in itself can be quite detrimental to the the system and, and just the team in general because it, it then really halts the sort of the momentum and I think the, the continuity of things as well because you're, you're starting to question well just how many holes are there in this boat is there more than we can see well is it, it's part of dealing with the immediate or the long term really isn't it and I guess that uh, some some people would believe that Manchester United have not really been able to balance the two in recent years Chris no I, I don't think they have I think it's very difficult we look at players for example who stick with the club for a very long time Jamie Carragher Stephen 
Gerard, Alan Shearer. Giggs. Even Francesco <laughs> Totti, who's, who's still at Roma, amazingly. There comes a point where you have to face the awkward transition away. And Manchester United had to face that with Sir Alex Ferguson. And it was never going to be easy because he was cut in a, a very unique mould. I can't think of anyone like him in that sense. They not tried not to... of this time, at least. No, no, there could be in future, but not right now. Yeah. And so you're trying to decide, well, do, do we approach it with the continuity of trying to replicate the past? Or do we push off into a bold new direction? Now, I think with David Moyes, they tried to get some kind of continuity. Bold new direction. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think then with Van Hall, I think they've tried to move into this new direction. Mm-hmm. They've, they've blended almost ideas and traits of Sir Alex Ferguson, but Van Hall is still massively different. And that hasn't really worked for them either. And it's difficult in the sense that I think we are very reactionary as as a sport these days in the sense very that... Very myopic as well, it, it, yeah, just depending massive. on immediacy in that sense. Massively. I think, you know, it, it bleeds into the way we ingest media as well. I mean, the, you know, the, the fan cams, we've talked about this before, kind of social cages that they are, where you, you corner someone after they've just spent £90 to watch Man United draw nil-nil with PSV. I mean, obviously, that's 90 for the entire evening, not for the ticket. Um, Although, if, if you go to Arsenal... Yeah, but but of course, you're going to be peeved off at that point because it's disposable income. We're all struggling, et cetera, et cetera. You can digress into a multitude of different ways. I, I just think that sometimes we need to take a step back to see something a little bit wider. And and that's not at all to say that Van Hal needs more time or anything like that. It's to say that you have to actually analyse the entirety of the piece. So while you're giving him immense credit for the Watford game and saying that's how champions win leagues, etc., etc., you then have to say, well, are they doing that on a consistent basis? And the truth is they are. They're playing poorly on a consistent basis. Sometimes it's getting can, can we, Should we maybe not say not. poorly? I mean, do, do we not say poorly, though? Do we? Because, you know, there have been a lot of clean sheets in that time. Although I guess the point would be you, you, say, you style, say poorly it? because it's so, it's so condensed and it, there's, it's almost risk-averse. It's not for, it that's, is. that's the thing I look at with, with Manchester United. And, and again, they are a very special club in that sense that they're... they're in with the elite, the Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, you put them in that category because of the history and, and, and all that rich tapestry that they have. Of that group, at the minute, I would argue they're the ones struggling the most to, to define themselves in terms of their playing identity. I think the rest have something. But how quickly can that turn around? Because, I mean, you know, look at Liverpool. You know, I mean, if, if Jurgen Klopp had gone to Manchester United, just imagine that. Um, or any manager of that ilk. Stop it, Lawrence. No, but I'm, I'm, all, all, no, I'm, saying, all I'm saying is... I think Klopp's come in and given Liverpool an identity that not only is, is what they need, I think, to push them up to the next level, it's actually conducive to the squad that they have. And that is, is the question I would pose to, to Dave as someone that kind of studies Man United as a whole from the kids to the reserves to the first team. Is what he's doing now, is that conducive to the players you've got in the first team, got in the reserve team, got coming through? Oh. Is, is there even a fluency between, oh, come if on, I can watch their reserves, or the, the stiffs as they used to be called, <laughs> am I going to see that something nice similar to what I'm watching with the first team? I think the issue with that is that there's still this underlying spirit of Manchester United of being an attacking football team, and that's what Man United is for me. 
That's what football is for me. It should be attacking football. And we're not seeing that right now. We're seeing the defensive style. And I'd argue that we got smashed by PSV under-19s today, 5-0. So maybe the problem isn't just on the top. The problem is throughout the club that we're not no longer producing talented players that we were doing, you know, the likes, you know, the golden generation in the class of 92 and so forth. Yeah, but you're going to buy all five, all five of their star players from that PSV side. <laughs> but then that's the, again, that's the issue of modern football, maybe. Maybe, maybe this, is, this is it for me. Maybe I'm out. But it's just, for, for me right now, it's not the right style. It's not the right style for the club. Um, we've got play, young players that need confidence. They need to be given confidence. I tweeted something about it, you know, months ago when I got hammered by it. Memphis Depay, look at his body language when he goes off the pitch today. He looks absolutely gutted with coming off. And I, I mentioned I mentioned at the weekend on, no, sorry, I mentioned on Monday on, on um, Full Time Devils on my, my three-point review that, look, these young players need to be played a la Ross Barkley at Everton, a la Lukaku that are playing every single minute. And look at what they're doing now. Ross mm. Barkley is one of the best Premier League players this season. Lukaku is an absolute monster this year. That's because they've been given confidence by their manager. You look at Manchester United, right? You've got, you've got Martial, who now looks, low, looks like he's got low confidence after the amazing initial start. His confidence looks like he's it looks gone downhill. He hasn't scored in, um, what, four or five games. And, and so forth. And it just looks, the only player that's playing with confidence in this side right now is Jess Lingard, just because he's just been in, introduced to the side. Give him three or four or five games, he's going to be playing this negative backward passing style that is going to get Manchester United absolutely nowhere. And we're going to be consistently on this trend of, of playing average football, getting results, and that's it. Chris, how much you know, of that is a cultural thing? Do, do you, you think how, how much of that comes from? I mean, the club or the, the, the country? Uh, the country and then feeding into the club. I think some of it is, I think, you know, it's very difficult because you've got 75,000 people that all think they're right in that stadium. Yeah. And that in itself doesn't help. It's, it's the idea of picking the, the England squad. You can't appease everybody. You, you're going to annoy some people no matter, matter which players you pick, even if you held some kind of democratic election. I think what concerns me with Manchester United at the minute, and I've touched on this before, is when I think back to them as a, as a kid and I'm talking about going to watch them and play my team and all that kind of stuff, I was a little bit scared when they rocked up in the sense that even when they were poor, I remember watching a, uh, a game not long after Christmas. It might have been New Year's Day. Mm. And I remember we were winning and I still thought, we can't slip here. And it was that idea of... You can't you give know, them an inch. Yeah, yeah, you can't give them an inch because they will steal a mile and a half off you. I don't feel that so much now. I mean, I watched <clears throat> Newcastle go to Old Trafford and I thought they had just as much of the game for, for good portions. They were a Torvan tour away from winning the thing. Yeah. Mitrovic hits the bar. It's that, it's that idea of, if, if you maybe draw the analogy of boxers, it's that idea of, you look at Tyson when he first started, he was never under pressure. He just came out and it was bang, 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 bang. Mm. Totally decimated. As he kind of got later and, and people started to make him go the distance, he struggled. That's where I feel like Manchester United are at the minute. Is they're in that period of Tyson where he went the full five or the full twelve, excuse me, and started to struggle, and they just don't ever seem to have control over a game. And you look at we go back to that talk of the elite. They have control over the game, bar obviously when they play each other. When they play every other team, though, they just seem to have constant control. And and like a, a cat toying with a mouse, I, I don't feel that with Manchester United at the minute. It does feel very passive. It feels very kind of turgid yeah. and it, I'm not sure how they rectify it. that's the thing but you know we kind of talk about well changing the manager I feel like there's this weird kind of vacuum with 
with managers now that actually there isn't a multitude of candidates. Maybe it's Pep Guardiola, but you have mm. to wait till the summer. And then you have to give him time and you have to make sure that he's got the right players and it's boom and bust, boom and bust. I think Guardiola could turn it around. I, I'm not going to be as, think- as naive to say he couldn't, but even then, it, it's that difficulty of when you stumble upon something as good as Sir Alex Ferguson, maybe it's a slight pessimist in me, you're always thinking he's going to have to leave at some point and what have we got lined up next? Do you not think that that's part of his MO is to make this side as neutral, not neutral, but sort of as as much of a blank canvas as possible for the next manager and <laughs> then for Ryan Giggs to step in or someone else? I don't think he can be a placeholder, personally. So, sorry, Dave, go, go ahead, man. No, no, it's just, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, the, the issue, obviously, with Ferguson is there's going to be a hangover at the club because he did so much for the club and he was, you know, his, his managerial record is an absolute joke. We all understand that. The, the issue is it's just where it's going right now in terms of... I, I don't know how to describe it in a way that there's, there's been a lot of mismanagement at the club since Ferguson left. Ferguson did so much at the club and now we're, we're stuck on, you know, these signings we've made over the last few seasons have all been really, you know, misfits, you know, Falcao... Di Maria, these are players that could have fitted well, but not with the manager. So it's like they're signed, they're being signed for Manchester United, but they're not being signed for Louis Van Gaal in a way. Or it just seems like the the, the sort of the trajectory at the club right now, it needs to take a change. It needs to go like for me personally, I feel it's got to go down the line of being a Southampton. You've got to get ahead of football in there, like what Ferguson Ferguson was ahead of football. Let's just let's just pretend, you know, he was ahead well, that's of football. Well, that's where his role encompassed. He, 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 yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. So I feel that we need this head of football at United, this head of youth. At the moment, Man City are taking all the good young players because Man City are promising that these young players will get um, a spot in the private schools in Manchester. So the parents of these kids are going, shall I go to Manchester United or shall I go to Manchester City? The Man City have just built a brand new youth academy. They've got all the top youth coaches. They're going to put my kid into private school. You know, And United are struggling right now. They, they can't offer that. They can't offer this scholarship. They can't offer this. They can't offer that. And that's the issue that nobody's thinking about the future. I think at Man United right now, we're all thinking about the now. What's our instant reaction to this? Yet we've we've completely let go of our youth policy. You know, apparently all the coaches, all the um, the good scouts under Ferguson that were working in the local Manchester area, they all retired when before Ferguson retired, and Ferguson hadn't actually replaced them. And what we're doing right now, it seems like we haven't replaced them. You know, you see in Robin van Persie's kids, they play for Man City. Darren Fletcher's kids, they play for Man City. There's a there's a whole thing that's kind of going wrong at the moment of the football club that is being encapsulated by this terrible, terrible brand of football that's going down at the moment. Yeah, but I, I also think contrasting it with Man City is a bit of a mistake as well because I think there's a, a number of ways Why? that... Because I think I that... Think... I think that there's a number of ways that a club can go and I think that uh, Man City have a certain policy that they're pursuing. To say that you want to go down the Southampton route would then make it unhealthy to do comparisons with Man City. No, no, no. So, so what, what I meant with the, so the Southampton route is the good way to go where you're developing these young players. My comparison with Man City is that Man City are now a better academy that United, than United in Yeah, Manchester. but that's because the immediate injection of cash that City have had. I think in the but long then, run... But if you think about the, the scouting then, the scouting networks that your City have created at the moment and the, the draw that they're getting these, you know, these ex-footballers players to play at their youth academy... That's quite big for me. That's something that tells you there's something not quite right going going down at Old Trafford in their academy. Well, I understand that. I also think that there 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 is a. It's very interesting that they would put all those players into that into a, private schools, etc., etc. And what they would do with them, I think there are arguments to be made 
against that. I think that very much goes with the culture that's been built, building at Man City. And I'm not sure whether Sir Alex would have built it in the same way. So what I'm, what I, what I'm saying is I think that there is also a contrast to be had against what City are doing. Um, I see why Dave sees it as kind of a damning situation, though, that, that former United players' children are going to the team yeah. across the yeah, city. Yeah, but, but, that, but that, well, that's, that, that, that could have been the, the case. The in the hand is worth, you know, two in the bush. In well, the sense we, we, but we the also kids haven't done anything. And equally, City as a club, I mean, this generation, you know, the whole we've pumped money in, that hasn't actually put forth a lot to the first team. Calicci Lanacho isn't really, a, in my eyes at least, a City graduate. It's it's not the production not yet, line but, of, of but, maybe ten years ago yeah. where you've got a newer Jordan Ireland coming through. It it's a lot of money and good intention that went down, but it just but, hasn't seen anything come out the oven yet. Yeah, but well, I mean, yeah, you would say that if they can if they continue to pursue this policy, then there will be something that will mm. come. But at the same time, what I'm saying is, it's not say that Man City are bad or United are bad. What I would say is, we first of all we don't know whether uh, Van Persie. Or Fletcher's kids were rejected from the United Academy because we don't know what quality they are. You'd also say that we don't know uh, how many people are attracted just by the private schooling or by working with the in inverted commas best coaches and what kind of things people value. I think we're, we're putting so much value into things which are traditionally very um, alluring to contrast the things which may be. United we're, might offer. we're defining it in quite emotive terms, I think. Is yeah, right. well, yeah, definitely. In the sense that it, but, it's but then so choosing then, City over United. But it's so not... then, Chris, then, then Chris, help me contrast the cat with the mouse. Because tonight, the mouse in inverted commas was PSV. And it's not only PSV that seemed to be the mouse in this scenario. There is also Ajax. There's also, I mean, to some extent, Feyenoord as well, right? Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, Feyenoord are a curious one in the sense that I don't really think they were tipped for much at the start of the season but Turkow has kind of I think that goes far to say to kind of led this resurgence for them and I, th- I think the steam will run out there eventually but even Ajax I mean they're, they're kind of gripped in this tug of war and it, it goes back to the idea of you look at like Barca and Madrid again they've got that structure at the top that then bleeds down Ajax have that structure that bleeds down at the minute it's over Mars and that's actually quite a bone of contention because they believe that well, excuse me, Wim Yonk believes that uh, Overmars isn't kind of staying true to the Johan Cruyff model that Cruyff put in. And, and Cruyff, I think, has subsequently left as an advisor. I think Wim Yonk tried to uh, resign or was let go, but they hadn't really accepted it. And, you know, for, for all the talk of, of maybe Ajax being this, this great club, <clears throat> they've made a lot of, of domestic signings in the same way that PSV <clears throat> you maybe look at, at them as, again, there's quite a, a good Dutch core in there, Davy Proper, Jeffrey Brumer. They aren't PSV kids. Davy Proper came from Vitesse. Luke Dion came from somewhere else. Maher, Narsing. These players came from other clubs. So in that sense, they're not a, a huge difference to Man United in the sense that Depay and, and their youngsters have largely come from, from other foundations. So I think what it goes back to is that idea of you need the structure from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you need someone almost pouring the water into the funnel so that it, it bleeds down to the very foundations of things. I, I haven't seen that with Manchester United. I think <clears throat> Ferguson was very good at being that. He was very good at being the statesman for the football club. When you lose him in the, the dugout, I think you lost that statesman as well. And 
<clears throat> I also don't think it would have been fair to ask him to stay on in that role. You needed someone to come in, maybe even two people. I would go so to say two people. Someone to do the coaching, someone to do the the other aspects of things because Gary Neville and Ryan Giggs. Well that's the thing, you know, <laughs> Ferguson was a delegator. This idea that kind of he was in on every detail and on everything. Not the case as he got older. In fact if anything, I remember Oli Solskjaer saying that one of the best lessons he learned from Sir Alex was delegating and, and knowing when to give something to somebody else. I think they need to take that lesson from him and, and start yeah. to bring in other people to take care of the minute details. But it, would the problem be that it's very difficult for some people to trust those other people to do that and sometimes they're brought in people who have not done what? For, to to borrow a Hey Arnold reference, mm-hmm. if Stoop Kid never leaves his stoop, he won't ever see the city in the sense that of course it's nerve-wracking and such because there there is a huge weight of expectation. There is a lot that goes before it. I mean, today is the 10th anniversary of George Best's sad passing. The club is ubiquitous in, in football terms. I think for that same reason they are ubiquitous, it was because they took risks, because they were bold. They have to be bold again. They can't sit inside the shell and just hope that something fixes itself that if you just hit the washing machine hard enough it'll start to work again you have to literally pull the back off and and start poking around and seeing what's broken and what needs replacing Mm. or you buy a whole other washing machine or you begin to (laughs) go to the laundrette (laughs) yeah i think that's that's what we've got we've got um edward wood in a position of power that's excellently commercial you know great deals with adidas great deals with um, dhl and so forth but then his player recruitment has been absolutely horrendous the the aerial tablets are not not doing the job there we go we're seeing that same thing play out in Madrid right now with Real Madrid in the sense that Florentino Perez is great on a commercial side but I saw Guillaume Balaguer our interviewee say that if if Perez just stuck to that it would be brilliant for the football club. But because he's so kind of desperate to meddle in the director of football side of things and I can understand why everyone given that opportunity, I think would want to and, and would want to bring the best players there. You and I have never really worked in a business like that. <laughs> but but how much is he asking himself if the player fits properly, if he's the right player for the club? It, the same, to me, I think applies to Manchester United in the sense that, yes, the commercial side is brilliant and that needs to fund the players. But you then have to have the trust, as in with any business, any partnership, to give that money to someone and say, OK, spend it. Because I think you have to accept... You, your strengths and weaknesses in equal measure. And, and that's something I don't think Man United are doing either. I mean, uh, the interesting thing is that Real Madrid right now, I mean, um, you know, Rafa famously left Valencia and said, I asked them for a lamp and they gave me a couch. Um, you'd say there are similarities there in what's going on at both clubs. Was he talking um, about Sissoko? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it was Sissoko specifically. Um, Sissoko was good at, really, really good at Valencia. He was. It was like seen as one of the best young players in world football at that point. He was just like a bo- energetic box-to-box midfielder. Looked like he was. It was like watching a young watching Yaya Torre in a way where he was really confident. He used to stroke the ball around the pitch and then obviously went to Liverpool, didn't he? Quite leggy. Became quite leggy. Yeah, he did. Um, yes. Um, l- let's talk about the other half of Manchester's opponents tonight, Juventus. Now, Juventus on the weekend inflicted somewhat um, of a beautiful victory into the Milan side uh, mm. who look a little disparate at the moment. Uh, things going very differently on and off the pitch. It, it's fair to say they've got a mixed bag, this AC Milan side right now. But Juventus, 
have played two matches in a row there where they've played some fantastic... Fo- if, if anything, they've played more than two matches in a row, but these two, you can connect together being so close. Um, two matches post-international break, which look fantastic. Chris. I definitely just had a partridge moment when you said disparate. I, I, can't, I can't deny it. Yeah. Um, I, I think Juventus... I mean, look at them, for example. They finished the Champions League runners-up. You know it's the end of an era in the sense that Pelo is going, Tevez wants to go home. Vidal is seen as a saleable asset. And they've moved forward quite well. I mean, it was difficult at the start of the season. It wasn't pretty. But they fought through that uphill. And you look at them now, and I think Dybala looks an inspired signing. A lot of the players, even Mandzukic, chips in with a goal tonight. Someone that, again, has struggled. Morata a good long-term yeah, I think Morata is a, is a really good long... And the, the great thing about Morata is, you know, he had that great season last year and then there was talk, well, he should go back to Madrid. But he came out and said he didn't want to. And I, I think there's, there's something to take from that as well, is that he, as much as he might earn more money, it might be a bigger stage at Madrid, whatever, Real Madrid, excuse me, he sees a better future for himself at Juventus. And I think when you can convince a player that, either by talking to him or just by your actions, I really think you're onto a winner because I think that has a ripple effect throughout Europe personally in terms of trying to entice more young players to, to your football club. And they've got Pogba kind of sitting there as this huge potential, t- potentially saleable asset as well. Interesting they let, rid of, let, let go of Kingsley Coman though, right? Mm. Mm, yeah, I, I'm, I must confess I haven't seen a huge amount of the Bundesliga this season. I know Dave has it. He's been pretty brilliant, though, hasn't he? By all accounts, he's, he's just been like really good. Like, he hasn't played that many minutes, but when he's come on, he's he's like either created a goal or, or scored a goal. I just think it's it's interesting that Juventus is now this place where sort of young players or young players that play for big clubs kind of want to move there, like Coman, like Pogba, like Morata. They see it as like a, a really good place to move on again. I think um, from the weekend when I watched the, the, the AC Milan game, Juventus were really poor in the first half. They had Hernanes on the pitch. They're playing their 4-4-2 diamond. Hernandez was at the tip. And he was absolutely rubbish. In the second half, they changed to a 3-5-2 um, with sort of Pogba in midfield, Marquisio and, and Straore. Um, and they've continued that with the sim- similar formation against Man City. And it looks like it's paid off. They, they didn't have as much ball um, as Man City did, but they've created more chances than Man City and obviously won the game. So it's one of those things where um, Allegri, again, the tinker man, he's trying... He had a system last season that worked really, really well. The four-four-two diamond with um, Vidal at the top of the tip. Now he's sort of moved away from that this season, and he's going to more of a three-five-two, which suits them. That's why I quite like Allegri that he's he's tinkering and he's changing. They're only eight points behind the leaders in Syria. I really think they could go and win it this year. Mm. I, what I liked about Allegri as well is I always got the feeling with Conte that it was pedal to the floor, hundred percent, and they would suffer kind of burnout towards the end of the season. They do enough to win Syria, but. In Europe, it maybe wasn't so clear. And, and I've really, I, mean, believe- to be, I mean, to be fair though, Chris, they didn't really need to put the pedal down in order to win Serie A when they had Conte there. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. And, and I think in, in many ways that made it even worse, the fact that <clears throat> Conte goes and, and Allegri takes them to the, the Champions League final off the back of it. I think he has, he just has better kind of stamina management, if you will. I can't think of a, a better way to put it. But I think he just understands the situation and, and the juggling of competition slightly better and I, I personally, I'm really impressed with them as a football club at the minute. Events, I think they make a lot of shrewd moves in the transfer market. You look at PLO coming in on a free transfer; that deal worked out expertly for them, giving the risk to to Pogba. I mean, 
I remember reading something last year, a number of clubs turned him down, Roma, Genoa. There, there was a number that didn't want to touch him when he left Manchester United. And they took the risk and they've been duly rewarded for that. Uh, so Overall rejuvenation within the league, though, goes alongside that, doesn't it? I mean, it, Juventus are, you know, arguably the, the, still the strongest side in the league and the most reputable, you know, the one with the history which, which spans so long. But And yet they're, they're sixth. You've, you've, you know, we talk about Juventus in positive terms, but they are sixth right now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's after, after a top. very poor start by um, yeah. by Juve. Um, but but also, I mean, contrast that with other superpowers who faded in recent years. AC Milan, for instance. I mean, I had some interesting conversations on a uh, YouTube comment board for a change um, with other people who were saying, you know, things have turned around this season a little bit, but there are still huge, almost scars, if you like, from what from the fallout of what happened with you know obviously the president doing everything that he did. Well, the, the thing is as well. I mean, you look at the the big teams in in Italy right now. I argue maybe Bar, Fiorentina, and to a slight extent Napoli. They've just gone out and spent money. Yeah, Inter have spent big money on Condogbia. Milan went out and spent big money on the likes of Baca. They yeah. wanted Condogbia. Fiorentina to me are the only one that really have kind of penny-pinched and been quite shrewd with things. Even Roma, they did this kind of, I don't know if you remember, kind of six to eight months ago, we had this theme where um, someone would loan a player and it would say, with the obligation to buy, and we were all kind of confused as to what this meant. And it was something daft, like you pay a pound or a euro, excuse me. And then once they play one competitive game, I think for Iago Falke, that was the exact case. Yeah. The second he played a competitive game, he became a Roma player. Yeah. And it was kind of this loophole to FFP. So even even Roma have have spent money, and I think is it the prettiest way to do it? Probably not. I also think that the Italian league in general maybe needed that injection. It needed something a little bit yeah. fresh to it. I think it had lost a good number. I think of its its younger stars in the summer. Kovacic is is probably the standout one for me that that had to go to balance the books. But overall, it, it just needed something new to it because again. The 90s were kind of racing away in terms of the what we consider maybe the, the golden period in our generation, at least of, of Serie A. Mm. Well, uh, it's certainly more, much more exciting football now in, uh, in mm. Serie A, isn't it? After uh, all the investment. But even before the investment, we could see there was a change in the way that people were beginning to coach, right, Dave? Well, yeah, I think so. Like Sari, for example, who was at Empoli for the last uh, two seasons or three seasons, four seasons, got them promoted to Serie A. And then um, they're really, really hard to break down um, they had like one of the best uh, clean sheet records in, in Serie A last season and now he's gone to Napoli mm. and Napoli are playing some really really good football at the moment um, you look at Jorginho there sort of holding midfielder that completed 180 passes at the weekend um, and he's it, just sort of the midfield's got great balance they've got Hamzik and they've got Allen and they've got Jorginho um, and then up front they've got Higuain Insignia and Calion. it's just it's quite a nice brand of football. Again, with Fiorentina, uh, Kristen mentioned it before, that they, did, they didn't they did actually spend money this summer. They, they cut their wage bill massively, spent a few uh, euros. They bought Kalinic in, the ex-Blackburn Rovers player, who's been pretty outstanding. He scored nine goals already this season. He, he came off the bench at the weekend. They were 2-0 down at the weekend. He came off um, the bench and then got it to 2-2. So Fior- I really hope Fiorentina do win the league. They're my sort of Italian team. Uh, first game I went to was Man United versus Fiorentina, so that's why, why I've got a connection with them there. But... They play some really good stuff. They've sort of been likened to uh, Guardiola's Barcelona in a way, where they play a 3-4-3, they keep the ball, they attack a lot, they create a lot of chances. It's quite exciting to watch. So I'd say if you get over to Syria, watch a Fiorentina game, watch a Napoli game, and, and you'll, you'll be excited again, I think. 
I take it that was Batistuta's Fiorentina, probably. That, that yeah. was Batistuta's Fiorentina. Oh, the first game went to. Lucky guy. Paul Scholes scored an absolute cracker outside the box, smashed it into the top corner, and then Batistuta just went down the other pitch and scored it. Probably a better yeah. goal. Of course, because and Batistuta, of course, at the time was comparing himself to Jamie Vardy. Now, oh, yeah, he was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chat shit, get Batistuted, <laughs> get batted. Yeah. Um, I, I How think, is David? Well, the, the thing is, I think look at the right. bottom of the league as well. Though, I mean, you've got like Carpi, who I appreciate in the, in the country weren't seen as you know the swans that maybe everyone outside saw them as. In fact, I think some owners said they didn't want them in the league. It, it devalued the league. But you've got the likes of them and, and Frosinone who, who've come up and, and do give you something a bit different. I remember a few years ago when Hoffenheim made their kind of surge up and, and watching something on, um, oh, what is that programme that, that covers all the sport? It was on Channel 4. Do you know the one? World on, Sport oh, or whatever it is. Trans- on, on yeah, the Sunday, Trans World Sport. Trans World Sport, thank you. I, remember I always thought that was a show about sort of very progressive surgery. Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, well, that's the thing. I remember watching it, a little kind of feature on Hoffenheim on Transworld Sport, and I was kind of captivated by it. And I love that idea of, of building something and, and charting the journey of something as well. And I, I think this, you're getting kind of both ends of that spectrum in, in Italy right now. You're getting into who are spending big money. But as Dave rightly says, you're getting Fiorentina, who are in third place, having recovered from losing Mo Salah in, in quite acrimonious circumstances. And, and managing to pick up Nikola Kalinic who's now firing in the goals which is I'm sure Blackburn fans are absolutely maddened how that's happened it's Fiorentina mm-hmm. my favourite kind of pizza at the moment um, yeah two eggs in it Lawrence is that why you like it yeah I like the protein Dave what's your favourite kind of pizza um, I like a calzone with uh, probably it's with not pizza some, like... is it but alright oh sorry mate it's pizza pie sorry pal and it's margarita calzone. I, like, I like basic mar- if you go to an Italian restaurant you yeah. know how good the pizza is if you have a margarita good point uh, Chris Whichever one takes the pain away. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh god! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm really just pepperoni. It's good for me. That's that's pretty much. Does I it. remember that from when we lived together. Yeah, you were partial to pep. Um, good. Right. Well, uh, moving on. Earlier in the week, we were lucky enough to speak to Guillaume Balaguer, who's just launched his new book, Cristiano Ronaldo: The Biography. He's really into his Google keywords. Clearly, um, <laughs> it's. It's 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 a book that I haven't read, but I was certainly very interested to hear more about the process that he went through. Um, this was with the Football Republic, um, and so Adam has cut together um, our interview with Guillaume Balaguer. I'd love to listen to that audio book. Yeah. <laughs> then Ronaldo scored. <laughs> and he scored again. <laughs> and again. <laughs> it's a literal biography. Chapter two, The Miss. Yeah. <laughs> Hi guys, Adam here. No doubt you're devastated I couldn't make the pod this week, but I'm sure Kristen did a great job, as always, stepping in for me. Although I couldn't record the pod this week, I did manage to go with Lawrence for the Football Republic to interview Guillaume Balaguer, Spanish football expert, journalist and author. There's a great 15-minute video going up on the channel this week, but we've got the extended, in-depth, uncut version here for your listening pleasure. But first, a little background info. Balaguer, as I said, is a respected journalist and author who has written biographies on Lionel Messi and Pep Guardiola in the past. Both of those works had the involvement of their subjects, but Ronaldo and his agent Jorge Mendes refused to work with Balaguer on the latest book. This, Balaguer says, is because in his authorised biography of Messi, he cited unnamed Real Madrid players who claimed Ronaldo's nickname for the Argentine was the motherfucker. In fact, the first page of the new book is the letter sent by Ronaldo's team threatening legal action over the claim. 
Lawrence sat down with Balaguer to talk it over, whether being unauthorised means the book captures Ronaldo's journey better than the recent documentary about the superstar, as well as discussing Cristiano's legacy and his future. Enjoy. You've written books on Messi, you've written books on a book on Pep Guardiola. Why the focus now on Cristiano Ronaldo? Once you've done those kind of books, you wonder, what is there that you want to explore? You spend a whole year and a half, two years with, and it had to be Cristiano because it's such a different story to, mm. to those and, and, and the Liverpool one on, on, on the Istanbul final. And uh, what a great decision <laughs> because uh, <laughs> yeah. I thought I knew a lot about Cristiano and all of a sudden I started scratching. I'm thinking, wow, I, I, I've gone from um, kind of feeling a little bit detached uh, but now thinking, isn't daring? Is yeah. there something about him? And I wouldn't feel that way if I hadn't gone through this journey. Yeah, and th that's quite interesting side, really, isn't it? Is obviously everyone, when they focus on something, get a little bit closer to it. But Ronaldo is such an interesting figure in public public life, isn't he? Yes, and uh, and and I think the process of the book makes it uh, makes it interesting as well because uh, the idea was to do the book together, mm -hmm. and that's what we had decided. And I wasn't sure it was a, it was a good idea because I I know being close to that world that uh, his image had been very very controlled for mm. like three four years. Anyway, something happened which is in the beginning of the book, which meant that we weren't going to do it together. And it's the best decision I could have made because he allowed me to explain the Ronaldo that I see and having spoken to you know dozens of people, it's not exactly the Ronaldo that they painting. His people are painting. It's nothing wrong with it. I think, uh, in fact. It makes him endearing if you actually know where he comes from, the lack of uh, references uh, in terms of parents, uh, the, the, the fact that he had to leave at 12 his home and then you know, grow himself on his own at, uh, at 12 in Lisbon. A lot of things that are not really explained properly by the officialdom of, 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 of his people, but they, you need to know to understand who Cristiano is and yeah. why he reacts the way he reacts. And that's quite an interesting side, isn't it? Because obviously it's unauthorised, is what people say, which makes it almost sound renegade in a sense, and as if it's a hit piece, which it certainly isn't. It's, it's a different kind of biography, isn't it? Yes, it's, uh, it's been an interesting reaction, just to, to answer that. It's been an interesting reaction from his people, if you like. I met uh, Giorgio Mendes before the... Uh Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Uh, the, 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 the film release in, in London and, uh, and it was, you know, having been where we've been, where I was, there was a legal threat to me and that's the beginning of the book, referred to something I wrote in the Messi book, um, we haven't spoken since. Mm -hmm. So I did the book, I had already done most of the research anyway, I did the book, it got published and then we crossed paths with George Mendes, who of course is the agent of Cristiano Ronaldo as, my, as, my, as, as well as many other things. And it was a shake of hands, and it was, um, we need to talk. Wow. I was like, right, okay. Uh, no, no, we need to talk, we need to talk. He says, the book is out, I said. He says, no, I know, I know precisely. He says, well, it's a good book as well. I said, meaning, actually, is a, is a, the, the movie is Ronaldo by Ronaldo, or yeah. Ronaldo by Mendes. The book is trying to explain who Ronaldo is. Mm -hmm. 
And he said, yes, sir, I know, I know, that's what we need to talk. So I said, well, you've got my number, so uh, maybe at some point I'll hear from him. It was a strange reaction, but uh, an interesting one. So um, let's see what that means. Yeah, it's, it, it is actually pure chance, isn't it, that the book has come out at the same time as the film? Yeah, yeah I've been asked many times, all oh, right, you've done it at the same time as the movie. How clever that is. And he's like, no, you don't know how books go. I mean, you actually, <laughs> I signed a contract about three years ago. Yeah. It just happened to be on the 5th of November when it comes out. I've known that for two years. I didn't even know there was a movie being done at the time because it wasn't be being done at the time. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that is fascinating though, isn't it? The fact that now he's coming back to speak to you. Let, let's talk a little bit about the good timing that you just have in general with this book. He kind of peaked just at the time when you're writing. He's kind of coming to a new time in his career now, not a twilight, but a transitional phase as you referred to it last time we spoke to you. So what do you think of the Ronaldo that we're seeing now? And you know, Where do you think he got that hunger from that's made him last so long? I think he understands something is happening, something that he cannot obviously control, and he's got to do with the fact that he has picked physically. Mm. So he's got to evolve, and as we spoke last time, I don't think he's ever evolved. What he is doing is getting closer to goal, because what he does is score goals, and he will continue scoring goals. But what probably he's finding very frustrating is that he, yes, he understands something's happening, but he wants to do what he used to do. And then, you know, his mind goes into, well, I should just go leave Real Madrid and go to Manchester United or PSG and, because they used to love me there, but maybe the future's PSG. Yeah. It's a confusing time. It's a confusing time for somebody who was used to pushing, 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 and perhaps now he cannot push any longer. Mm -hmm. So, as you said, the reaction to that will be defined by where he comes from, will be defined by um, uh, how well prepared to be, to be mature he is. And I personally don't think he's very well prepared for that. Well, how do you think he got to this point though? Because obviously when he first arrived at Manchester United, and even before that when he was playing in Portugal, there was such a perception of him as this raw talent. Like, it, and when you watched him, it was like this uncontrollable talent out on the pitch. And he was slowly refined into something over time. What was your perception of that? Well, it was a f fascinating journey that takes place every single day in the training ground at Manchester United. Mm -hmm. And of course in the games as well, but in the training ground. And he finds on the way people like Mick Clegg, who's another crazy man and full respect for him, but he's crazy. And of course, crazy man meets crazy man and crazy things happen, mm -hmm. as in four years and a half of pushing e each other uh, to become one, the best uh, conditioning coach in the world, perhaps, and two, the best, and uh, second one, the best player in the world. They were trying things to become stronger. And then Alice Ferguson manages with his, you know, with, with uh, carrot and stick, his personality. The players who had, some of them had given up on him, eventually realise how important he can be to them, so then they look after him. So it's a, it's a fascinating project in which everybody was a little bit of a father to him. Mm. And Mick Clegg told me one thing just recently. He thinks that he was preparing himself to go to the next thing, and the next thing had to be Real Madrid. So Real Madrid had always uh, was always in the plan, in the big plan. But when he gets there, I just wonder if he fe feels like, um, uh, perhaps he's definitely not as adore as he was at Manchester United. So um, that makes him look at those Manchester United years with, idealise them really. Uh, that's why he thinks, maybe I should go back, even though in my eyes it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well that's part of the problem with football at the moment, and maybe it has always been the problem with football, is that it's so in the moment, so zeitgeist almost, that when you look back you end up realising other things, and it's hard to look forward from there. How much have you seen and sort of perceived of the overall narrative arc that has gone with him throughout his career? Because that's fascinating to look at as a whole picture really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right, and, and yes there is a journey quite clearly, 
with up and downs, for instance, we keep thinking he was man of the match on that game against Bolton, wasn't he? And mm. he only was only there for, for half, half an hour. Mm. But then for two years he didn't make it. For two years he was trying to be that guy that had done so well in half an hour. But while he was failing, he was learning. And that's the big things about making mistakes and, and failing. They are, if you have the mind frame of a Cristiano Ronaldo, they are bricks to learning, basically. But then he goes to Real Madrid and again the same thing happens, he has, has to stay, even though the presentation was massive and everybody uh, was there and the full stadium uh, just chanted his name and all those kind of things, it was hard for him to make the Real Madrid fans believe that he was the best. Mm. Eventually he does become that, but once he does that, it doesn't last long his happiness, does it? Because he wins La Decima, but he's got injury problems and then Ancelotti leaves and then Rafa Benitez comes in and he doesn't feel comfortable with his new position. So it feels like you're never in, in a happy mood for a long time when you are at the top, which is in itself a little bit of a, of a little, little tragedy, isn't it? Well, that's so contrasted to the way that we obviously see him marketed and put out into the media. How have you tried to... Because it, I don't know, it, writing a book is almost like writing an essay, isn't it? Like you're, you know, you're writing a study on someone. How have you managed to contrast his public perception with the private perception of him? He has helped that, for instance, I presented commercial events with him, I've been in private situations with him, I've seen uh, the, the other side, if you like, a little bit. But especially because I've spoken to a lot of people that are close to him, and those that are not scared to talk. Because that was an, another interesting find, you know, they, it's like, oh my God, oh my God, I don't want to say anything. And, uh, and that in itself, they're scared of uh, saying the wrong thing. And, yeah. and, and of course, Cristiano, li like it tends to happen with a lot of players at the top. They're black and white. Mm -hmm. They're with you or you are with them or, or against them. Mm -hmm. And if you make one mistake, that's it. You're mm -hmm. gone in their lives. And of course, it takes a long, a long time to get into their lives and to look after that side of space uh, means... Yeah, to be scared and not to say things. So mm. eventually when you go through all that and you, you know, say, all right, we'll do it off the record, but do tell me things, you find that, uh, that yeah, it's, it's another picture to this PR campaign that has been put in place. And he's a fascinating man for many reasons, perhaps different reasons that, that uh, you know, they're, they're painting out there. I see, a, I see a guy who's insecure. I see a guy that, um, because he didn't have the references, parents' references mm. when he was young, Mom was, well, dad was an alcoholic and mom was uh, uh, the head of the family. So they weren't there for him. Uh, it just creates a kind of personality where you are constantly ever looking for your identity, for parents, but for uh, your identity as well. And he found it as a player. So, yeah. all right, I'm a football player. So let's be the best football player in the world. Let's make sure that everybody loves me. Mm -hmm. But then that is finishing, isn't it? Yeah. And then what happens next? And, you know, I'll be, uh, I'm a bit concerned about that in, from that point of view. Yeah. Uh, that, that's quite interesting you say that, though, because obviously that, that could be such a cliche-ridden book if you just stopped. At what point did you become ready to write the book, almost? At what point did you think, I've got enough interviews, I've got enough reference points? Uh, the way I work is, uh, is a year of um, absorbing and learning and thinking and thinking. Thinking is so crucial in books, obviously. People may not realise that, but... All right, you've you've heard stories, you heard uh, opinions, and then you sit down. and uh, I've been the most boring person to be with in the last year and a half because still are really. Yeah. Your camera is terrible. <laughs> More yeah. thematic, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's that's what it takes you. You know, you get into um, something that the sports psychologists call the flow. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking, you're thinking, and one day you're just floating, and you realize, I got it, I got it, mm -hmm. I got it, I can write it now. And 
because of timing, you have to actually do it just before you start writing, if you can. So there's a lot of thinking, a lot of reading, a, a lot of uh, transcriptions, a lot of things. And then it gets the summer, uh, last summer, I knew I had two months to write it. And yeah, managed myself to get into the flow just before I started the writing. Mm, really fascinating. And what about now, when you look at him at this moment, we're thinking about the legacy of his at Real Madrid. W what's your perception of that? If if he wants to sell the idea that he has been the best player in the world, and for a while he has been, there's no doubt about that. Now, does that get backed up by his CV? And not really. In six years at Real Madrid, is one league, is two cups, one Champions League, one Champions League in what in what in, in which he was injured and he wasn't that important to mm. it. Uh, I don't think he's made the impact that, that he would have liked, but. Generally, we are talking about somebody we have to thank him to be at the same time as Messi because he made Messi better, to be able to challenge Messi, who I think to me is the best ever, and to be at some point even ahead of him, that's massive. So we have to count him as one of the top 10 players in the world, but um, I'm sure hearing that wouldn't, wouldn't satisfy him a lot. And that's part of it, isn't it? Because at the same time as you saying he maybe hasn't achieved everything, do you think Real Madrid have equipped him well enough to achieve what he arrived at the club to do? Possibly not. Uh, Real Madrid had a business plan and still have, uh, which has not been matched by the quality of the sporting uh, plan, especially from the point of view in the last two, three years where the president Florentino Perez decided actually to be the director of football and taking uh, all of the football decisions. That hasn't been, I don't think, a good idea. Do you think? <laughs> no, well, I mean, you can say that yes, league-wise, what is it, two leagues in 12 years in the two periods of Florentino, not a lot. He's won Champions League though, and he's made uh, Real Madrid from a team that struggled financially to, to the riches yeah. alongside Manchester United. He's done, he's done his job very well, and he's protected Real Madrid in a way from uh, foreign investors coming in, which seems to be seen at Madrid as a threat. I don't know about that, but he's stopped that. Now, football decisions should be taken by football people, and I think that has affected the performance and the CV of Cristiano Ronaldo in his period there. Mm. And obviously he also has been portrayed as, and it was a bit strange watching the documentary, he's almost portrayed as someone who is more interested in individual honours than club honours. So you'd say, have either side served each other well? What was your perception of that? I think Ronaldo, uh, especially now where he's got to be more focused to on, on the teamwork, he hasn't put as much commitment towards that than he should. Mm. Uh, the the remedy is now full of, they're not all players as in age-wise, but the way they play belongs to another era. Do you want to see how the new players play? Well, go to Bayern Munich or mm. go to Barcelona. When you see Luis Suarez and Neymar tracking back and mm. wanting the ball back, if 11 defend, nobody's going to beat you yeah. if you have that kind of quality. Real is full of players that think like, no, we just, you know, we were the best in the teams that we were in. So we were brought to do the kind of thing that we were used to do mm. at whatever, at Manchester United or at uh, Spurs or whatever. So let us do that. And it's like, no, actually, that's not where modern football is. If you're going to win more consistently, you have to give us more. And I think Cristiano has uh, not given enough. And even Mourinho will tell you that. And that's what split them. Because mm. Mourinho asked more of, of Cristiano without the ball, and Cristiano was like, well, no. Do you think that's part of what's with Rafa Benitez's issues right now? I think 
The problem with Cristiano now is that he's got to decide what he wants to do next. Mm -hmm. uh, and what he wants to do next, he wants to do it away from Real Madrid, which means that as he happened with Manchester United on his last season or last two seasons, he's confused. Mm -hmm. uh, he did really well in the last two seasons with Manchester United, but he was thinking about, okay, it's Madrid now. Mm -hmm. So Alex said, just wait one year. And talking to a lot of people that played with him at that last year, Manchester United, he didn't have the head there. Still score a lot of goals. He didn't have the head there. I don't think he's got the head in Real Madrid. I don't think he wants to change. He's not interested in, in becoming like Luis Suarez, a guy that can do a lot without the ball. Not interested in that. Not happy in the position he's playing in. But of course, you know, the coach asked the president for a striker. So this doesn't happen. president says no. So as you said before, the club hasn't helped either. But at this particular point, Cristiano is, uh, you know, a lot of things in his head. How does that contrast in them with the other great player of his generation, Messi? In, Messi has been benefited by certainly a team and a club that is more stable on the pitch, because of the pitch is as crazy as Real Madrid, if not more. But on the pitch there was an idea of, of what they wanted from the team, which means that if, if you miss a player, two or three, for whatever reasons, you bring one, two or three that, I can, that can give you, you know what they, you need yeah. from them. Now. Uh, in the middle of all that, he has adapted, mm -hmm. so he has evolved. Messi has gone from, from being a striker to actually dropping 20 metres deeper, and even though stats will suggest he's scoring less than Ronaldo's because he's injured for two months, but he probably will score as many from there anyway. But he has evolved, he's now running the show as well as scoring. Uh, and all that has been benefited by, as I'm saying, a team that, that kind of like, we call it plastelina, uh, in malls, so yeah. you know, Messi says we're going that way. Okay, we're all going with you. Okay, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, what, 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 what a privilege to have a club level like Barcelona being bowing to Messi uh, and Messi, uh, you know, staying there and giving them as much as he's giving them. It was interesting that you mentioned that Ronaldo is driven by Messi in a sense, that, but that's a very private side, obviously, because of so many things. What, what's your perception of that? But they both are. Definitely, mm -hmm. definitely driven by each other. Through, through what though? Like, what's the drive there? Because a lot of people will think it's just anger or frustration or a resentment of the other. Is it? Is we all as have uh, we all have nemesis, don't we? We <laughs> all have uh, somebody that uh, kind of pushes yeah. you. That's right, and uh, you don't hate him mm -hmm. uh, or hate her, but you you want to beat him. Uh, mm -hmm. Still being friends, of course, you know when you see him or see her. But at the same time, just you are being pushed by him or her, and, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what's happening. At some point, that was converted privately into tense situations when they were saying, uh, uh, there was three people in that room. One was Iniesta, Messi, and uh, Ronaldo. It was the European player of the year. And they were in that room, and there was silence. They weren't talking. They moved on from there, as you saw in the, f in the film. They actually now, I think they understand each other better. They're both maturing. Um, Messi, I don't think he's ever had any problem with Cristiano, but Cristiano has had a problem with Messi. Mm. It tends to happen if you're second for most of the time. And you, you know, uh, but I think even Cristiano now he realizes that uh, thanks to that guy, I've become as good as I am. Sorry, you just. Yeah, so should we ask. How are we for time? Are we okay? Yeah, we're okay. So should we move on to the. Um, we'll talk about the future a little bit. Yeah. So we're talking about Manchester United. Maybe that move doesn't make sense as you said in the book. Mm -hmm. MLS, okay. And obviously Ronaldo wants some dignity in where he is at this point, which is quite a strange way to speak in the first place. You don't hear many footballers speaking with that sort of word in, in that sense. 
Where do you think his next step is? Because some people say Real, uh, Real Madrid are going to keep him. Some people say, which looks very unlikely, some people say PSG, some people say Manchester United, some people say MLS. In football, you never know. You have to say that. But there's a strategy in place for him to move on. Mm -hmm. And then he has to be somewhere where he wins. Mm -hmm. Anything else is not possible. And he can win at PSG. He can take PSG to an another level. Mm -hmm. They're flirting each other so openly that you wonder... Are they playing as on? I mean, is there something else going on? But in any case, it kind of fits. PSG needs somebody to take them to the next level, perhaps Champions League. They probably think he's the guy to do so. Why, though? Because that's a funny way. Because, I mean, Real Madrid have had some of the best players in the world. Arguably, they've had better coaches, better everything down the years. They only won one in the time that he was there. Yeah. Uh, PSG, though, they have a system. Uh, they have some... There's a shape of a team. Mm -hmm. It's not just a bunch of individuals. Yeah. But, of course, you need two or three that take you to the next level. Yeah. Well, Pastor is one, but now he's forming part of the team. Uh, Lavezzi or, or Ivra. But if you take Ivra out, you put Cristiano in, it kind of works for them yes. as well. So it could well be PSG. I think everybody's flirting with Manchester United for the same reason that he had flirted with them for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, in the past, it was to get another contract. Now, I think, for something else to go to get... Uh, to get to PSG or something like that. M MLS will be in the future. What's interesting is that uh, both Messi's people and Ronaldo's people uh, have had conversations with MLS where they think they can convince them both to get to the MLS at some point. Yeah. Which will be uh, yeah, a fascinating, uh, great way of both ending their careers. But I don't know if it, we will coincide, but we'll see. That's kind of the interesting part, isn't it? Because they're in Europe where the money is currently. And to go to MLS there's not the same amount of money over there. And that almost reveals them for what they are, essentially, is they can't go over there because of what their needs are. They can't be fulfilled. Interesting point you made there, because uh, Messi will have the choice to go back to Newell's, yeah. which he always wanted to, or perhaps try the Premier League, uh, which it may be something he... he well, he, let's say he's opening the doors to, doesn't mean it will happen, but mm -hmm. he's, he's thinking, mm, why not? Stoke uh, might be coming in for him, yeah. Whatever it is, his decision would be football based decision, I think. In the case of Cristiano, he's facing uh, his own mo mortality mm -hmm. as a player. So all of a sudden, it's like, well, what next? Well, what next? He wants to be on the stage, mm -hmm. doesn't he? He wants to still be on the stage. In the MLS, he will be on the stage as a player, but it will prepare him for the United States and the rest of the world for whatever he wants to do next, being an actor or, or whatever he wants to do next. What was the best story you heard while you were writing the book? I love the story about uh, him stealing yogurts uh, when he was... Right, he was, gonna, he was with Sporting Lisbon and was going to go back to uh, Madeira uh, to his people. Uh, and he was going to show them at 15, 14, 15, that he was doing well back in Lisbon. Uh, and, uh, but that week he behaved very badly, as he had behaved for mo the most of the two or three years that he was there. Mm -hmm. So I got a report where he said he had stolen yogurts from Mrs. Amelia. <laughs> uh, he had actually taken the lunch of one of the kids. Okay. And uh, something else he stolen. So he was punished for it. Yeah. So he couldn't go back, having told everybody that he was going back, he couldn't go back. He went and had a look at the squad and he wasn't there and started crying and whatever. And calling his mom and it's like, Mom, I'm not allowed to... What? So uh, mom talked to Sporting Lisbon, they explained, and mom, you know, took the side of the club and said, you cannot come. And mm. that was, uh, you know, broke his heart, but, uh, but it's one of all the things that you learn from, I guess. One question I got which I didn't get a chance to fit in, we sort of passed over the Manchester United time. What do you think about his relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson? It's interesting. Yes, as everybody knows and, uh, and seen, 
said Alex helped Cristiano Ronaldo and as I explained in the book he goes sometimes from telling him off in front of everybody first time he goes to Lisbon plays against Benfica and he didn't play very well goes back to the changing room and said Alex is like who do you think you are it makes mm -hmm. him cry but a lot of the time when everybody was leaving the changing room after a telling off like that said Alex will go to him and says I had to I had to mm -hmm. I'm really really sorry but I had to you learn from it and you know but I'm here for you the other thing, of course, is for Salah's focus on everything is business. Mm -hmm. So would he treat somebody so especially if he wasn't as good a player? Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's what managers do, and uh, and that kind of that story defines what their relationship was like. Yeah, obviously, really interesting. What do you think Ronaldo would think of the book if he was to read it? Uh, Which he probably has. Let's face it, he probably well, I has. I don't know. Uh, looks like George George Mendes has, <laughs> but uh, or someone in Real <laughs> Madrid's team has. Or his yeah. team, more likely. I don't know. I mean, same as with, with Leo. Um, he said, you know, once I wrote it and I passed it on to him and I said, read the first page at least. And he says, why? Says, you know, because uh, I've done a book about you. He says, I know the story. Uh, which, is, which is fair enough. Uh, probably Christiana will, will say, that's not my story because that's not how I like it explained. Mm -hmm. And as, you know, Winston Churchill said, uh, History will treat me really well because I tell the, the story of my of my life, you know. And probably Cristiano is happy at the moment with the with the movie and that kind of portrayal of himself than anything else that challenges that perception. And the book does challenge that perception. Yeah, it's been lovely to have you. Thank you very much for having us at your lovely theatre tonight. Uh, the book is called Cristiano Ronaldo: The Biography. Very Googleable. Um, if people want to go out and buy it with the lovely picture on the back, mm. where can they find it? No, they'll find it on uh, on Amazon, for instance, if they mm. want to find it. In the UK, it's in all the shops, and it's been translated to a uh, few languages, so it'll be uh, in a lot of countries, uh, yeah. hopefully, in the next few weeks, months. Kim, it's been great to have you. Thank all you right, very much. Same here. Thanks for coming. If you want to see the rest of the interview, of course, head over to the Football Republic, where it will be there, I think, later in the week. Lovely interview. Chris, did you enjoy that? Yeah, I thought it was, it was really informative. I'm, I'm curious to pick the book up now because I've started to, to read a little bit more. I picked up Das Reboot and, and so I think that might be next on the list. Yeah, have you read any of Das Reboot? I've got a little bit of the way in and, and I must confess credit to Rafa. It's captured my imagination really quickly. It's very intriguing. Difficult to read in German. Um, now, Kristen, uh, let's cover our specialist subject in the final bit. And what we wanted to talk to you about was uh, Patrick Vieira. And his move to uh, New York City FC. Yeah, it's it's a curious one in, in the sense that I think anywhere else in the world, if you brought in someone like him, you'd kind of herald it as a really shrewd move or maybe even see the positive. The difficulty is if you look at Major League Soccer right now, the, the semi-finals of the playoffs are, are kind of on the cusp of being completed. They'll be done on Sunday. All four coaches are MLS experienced, have played, coach worked in the league prior to taking the jobs they're in now. Three of them are American. And I think when you look historically at the foreign coaches who've come in, I think the two best kind of examples to me are Aaron Vinter and um, Rude Hullet. They struggled because Major League Soccer, whether you love it or hate it, is a league full of nuances. There are drafts, there are all kinds of things. I remember Grant Wall does a, a great um, job of kind of covering that period of, of the Galaxy's history with Rude Hullet. Um, in the Beckham experiment mm. and they tried to explain to him one of the drafts the expansion draft in which he's allowed to protect 12 players and he insisted on protecting all of them and they had to explain no you can literally only protect 12 and so his kind of 
solution to that was to tell the players just to reject the transfer. And they said, well, you can't do that. That's not really... And I think that's... Well, yeah, I think that's kind of the cultural barrier that that foreign coaches face is they don't understand necessarily that... The Americanism is almost... Yeah, the metrics of American sports and how it works and the trading system and and things like that because in, in Europe soccer players have so much autonomy same with the rest of the world you could argue they, they have autonomy in their decisions and where they go and harry redknapp would literally shit himself if he walked into that <laughs> area you I mean you can't just slip him 50 quid yeah, no crikey yeah there's a, there's a chapter of the book i wish grant had written um and and the thing is as well even the kind of two examples i can think of of european coaches semi-recently that have done quite well gary smith um, and Steve Nicol, a man obviously that, that you'll know quite well, Lawrence. Yeah. They Very had experience well, of the league. Yeah. S- Steve had good experience of the league. Gary had come over and worked in American soccer for quite a while. And you know, credit to Gary, won MLS Cup with, with Colorado. Steve yeah. didn't. He got there a number of times, but didn't manage to get over that final hurdle. But they had experience in that sense. They, they weren't coming into it cold. And I just feel like it's a lot for for Patrick Vieira to take on in a short space of time because that that roster struggled this season. It, it didn't look pretty. It felt like a mishmash of ideas. And he's going to have to try and, and fix a lot of different aspects of that team and then also decide which players from, from City he wants to bring over. It, it's a task I don't really envy. And, and it's cast alongside the dueling New York Red Bulls, obviously, because that's New York sports. If you've got two teams within spitting distance, they're going to hate each other. The New York Red Bulls are, are the total opposite. They seem to have such a structured plan they hired Jesse Marsh, knew what they wanted him to do. They're now potentially going to go out, admittedly, to the Columbus crew. They'd already collected the supporter shield, though, and they've played some beautiful stuff. And you look at 2016 as a Red Bulls fan with positivity now. You don't look at it with, with fear and trepidation, which is what they had when they, they used this kind of big player model, when they had the Thierry Henry and, and Rafa Marquez in the squad, which is arguably the same style that New York are trying with David Veer and Frank Lampard. It's... It's curious in that sense that almost New York City FC are treading the path that the Red Bulls once did when you would think it would be easier just to start at the same point in that sense and learn vicariously. Why do you think they, they haven't learned? Or do you think it's almost the evolution of... You almost have to do it yourself in order to learn that. Well, I, I think there's two ways to build a fan culture because the, the difficulty is, is... I mean, this is a, a long debate you can have with fans of football in the New York City. Officially, the Red Bulls are based in Jersey. They call themselves the New York Red Bulls, but they are based in Jersey. And they see themselves as the team of New York. Originally, they were the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars many years ago. So for New York City What a marketable name. I know, right? It it fits on a shirt beautifully. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Goes round to the back, actually. (laughs) Um, But for New York City FC, they saw this as like a moment to steal the city almost. And there was lots of kind of marketing gimmicks about paint the city blue and paint the city red. And I think they knew the fact they didn't have a stadium. They'd be in Yankee Stadium. So again, that hampers your ability to build a culture. I think they went for the easy money and thought, you know what, if, if we get three big European stars, we'll definitely get people through the door. No questions asked. Whereas if you'd gone for, a, let's say, a slightly more... I don't want to say considered, but a slightly more restrained approach. And like New York Red Bulls have done, tried to get someone like Sasha Kleschen, a US international who knows MLS, who is a very high quality player, has won Belgian league titles. Players of that ilk. Are you going to sell as many tickets? I think you might struggle because I think they've already got that in, in the Red Bulls. I think what New York City FC felt they needed was a USP. 
and the USP to them in the New York market was we've got the big names. We're the big club. This mm. is the little brother that we're going to boss around. And almost irony when you consider the relationship that, that City and United have in, in Manchester. Mm. Well, well, yeah, but very very interesting really, isn't it? And What do you think though about the kind of appointment of Patrick Vieira and what you think he's going to bring to New York? I can see it going wrong, if, I, if I'm brutally honest. Great. I can't see it going wrong. Right. <laughs> um, it's a difficult league to transplant yourself into as a player as well. I think Angelino, the young fullback, he learned that. A lot of people think it's this retirement league, it's this journeyman league. It's really not. The average age of a DP is about 27. And it's very fast, it's very physical. What it lacks, I think, in, in technique sometimes, it makes up for in speed. And even to a lesser degree, kind of tactical rigidness in the sense that the games are a lot more open, a bit like the Premier League. Um, and that can be really difficult for a young player to try and become accustomed to, which is what I think they're going to work with. There was talk today that uh, they want to send Martin Demichelis over there. I think that's a that's the first terrible <laughs> idea. Yeah, guys, we uh, we need to sacrifice one lamb. Martin, come over <laughs> here for a second. <laughs> Yeah. Martin, you didn't do very well at the weekend against Liverpool. So uh, I get the feeling he was told yeah, before he went out on the pitch that he was yeah. going to go to New York. Uh, <laughs> oh, you love New York, you. don't you, Martin? Yeah. <laughs> or was it Mangala? Were they like, Mangala, mate, you go to the MLS, buddy, so he scored an OG and had a terrible game on purpose. He'd, he'd be better suited to it, Mangala. I think, I mean, I watched Nesta kind of suit him for Montreal Impact for a few seasons. And he survived because he is insanely clever as a defender. Yeah. Very, very I don't cool. see that level with, with Tim McKillis and that's not a slight on him. I just think you're comparing him to Alessandro Nesta for goodness sake. I mean, I to see be fair, why I mean, to be fair there have been other players that have gone over there and flourished. You know, Bradley they Wright have, Phillips. They have, but Brad, Bradley is a different case then again because he's got that mental edge that he can make the most of. And mm. I've seen that benefit him. I mean, his, his goal in the playoffs against DC United, it was just a really clever dummy that outfoxed Bill Hamid, this quite young goalkeeper for DC. I don't see Demichelis having that same influence. I, th- I can see why they're doing it, because their defence was incredibly disjointed. And their goalkeeper, assuming they send Angelino back, actually, their goalkeeper, Angelino, the other centre-back, Jefferson Menya, a lot of their defence speaks Spanish. And in fact, I believe Josh Saunders said they, they communicated largely in Spanish, the back four. So it makes a lot of sense in that aspect. Maybe if it's trying to... to build aspects of coaching over there in terms of him giving them experience I can see it I think they need to to be really kind of defined on what they want to achieve with the lone players they send though because there was talk of Villanacho last season and that didn't come to the fore I think he would have been a great one to have personally it it would have stunted the development of Kyrie Shelton the, the young rookie they picked up I, I just think you need to give them the best possible players because at the minute I think there is a slight feeling amongst fans that they are just kind of the play thing. And it, for me, it was very telling that Claudio Reyna wasn't the most vocal about the Patrick Vieira appointment. He, he was mentioned briefly, but he wasn't kind of ubiquitous on the press releases in that sense. That's a little bit of a red flag to me. Um, it says that maybe he didn't sign off on it. Again, that's speculation. That's complete rumour mongering on my part. I, I do I, I do fear for Patrick Vieira because it's, it's not an easy league to play in. I appreciate that there are a lot of people that think it's terrible. I have enough people that reach out and tell me they think it's terrible and that you know it's a retirement league. People are idiots, aren't they? That doesn't mean it's easy. Mm. Dave, how do you see MLS? Um, well, I, the only issue I have with MLS is it's on at the wrong time. 
And that is literally it. Like I, I wouldn't mind watching the playoffs. I'd quite like to get into the playoffs. I'd quite like to have an MLS team. The issue is that a lot of football I watch is European-based, so it is, it is at the time that you're sort of on a Saturday, on a Sunday, that you can like just tune in. But as it's a little bit more effort, it'd be like, you know, Chris and I imagine you stay up quite late, like on a sort of Monday to Friday, your games are on at what, three o'clock in the morning? Is that right? Yeah, it's, 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 I think that's the only issue. Do you, like, I'd do you like stay to up see and watch them live, Chris? Yeah, all, all every single game. How t- so are you just getting into your night by this time most of the time? Yeah. So, I mean, it's quarter to 11 now. I mean, I've got a piece to, to edit after this on Jesse Marsh, funnily enough. Sorry, and I probably won't go to sleep till about half two, three. Because to, to me personally, I mean, to digress slightly, as a journalist, I think it's disingenuous for me to try and write about the league if I'm not seeing the games in full, if I'm not seeing the minutiae of every game. I, th- I think I have to be watching it, taking it in. And look, it's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. I, I've slept in for a few meetings and things and, and it's not great. But it, it's the commitment to the, the craft, so to speak. It's the commitment mm. to, to covering a league properly and doing it the, the justice it deserves. Mm. Yeah, good point. Uh, I like that. Sorry, Dave. Go on. No, I like that a lot. That's, that's, you know, I feel the same way. that I feel that if you're going to talk about something, you pretty much have got to have, you know, watch the game or so forth. I, you, know, you can watch highlights and you could comment on it, but I feel that to get the real, like, to get really into it, to really get that minute detail or to get that little bit of extra i feel like you've got to be like a hawk on it type of thing and i don't feel like you can get that from say re-watching a game or mm. you know the game watching it live gives you gives you something and then you can sort of build on that with the you know watching it back and so forth but i think that's a real key component of getting an idea or a feel for leagues and so forth and type styles of football and everything like that depending on your personality you have to find a balance of how much football because when football becomes ubiquitous yeah. it almost goes too far yeah, I think it's too far it, it helps you with stats, though, as well. I mean, to use the Red Bulls as an example again, Dax McCarty is someone I've really enjoyed watching, and I've posted a few kind of stats about him in terms of his ball recoveries and, and he is beautiful, ninety well percent. <laughs> how well he's done compared to the DC midfield in the, the last kind of playoff uh, round, and when you watch the game, you think, well, you know, he's getting the ball quite a lot. He's doing a lot of this. Then you go to the chalkboard and you kind of check it up and. It, let, don't get me wrong; it's very anoraki, but it, it's it's something that I personally um, quite enjoy. And I think, in the, the wider context of things, I think one of the reasons maybe the playoffs in MLS struggle slightly is when I look at basketball and and baseball as well. They've got like the seven game series, haven't they? Like the five yeah. game. It's spread out so you can really forge a narrative across something. I don't know how well you can do that across two games. I think it's a little bit more difficult, but I think if you put it further than two games, you risk kind of, you know, making it a little bit of a farce. So it's it is that fine balancing line. But then equally, you know, one of my favourite ever playoff games is the the DC Red Bull snow game where it was postponed for a day because of heavy snow in New York. Uh, DC go down to ten men, save a penalty from New York, and still manage to win the game. So it's. It's building those moments in that history. Um, and funnily enough, I actually have a piece coming out next week on the very first MLS Cup final. I've spoken to loads of the players and Bruce Arena and stuff. And it's, it's great to be able to chart that progress. I think a lot of the guys are very kind of humbled by what they were the, the, the layers of the first brick. Yeah, exactly. Um, Chris, as always, it's fascinating to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on the pod, talking to us. Um, sorry you didn't get to answer any questions tonight. I feel like we've left you out of the question side of things. Um, because <laughs> I know you like that bit. 
Yeah, I do. I think I think you know, I think sometimes we have a little bit maybe it's just me. I think there's a little bit of a separation between the fan and the writer. And I'm I'm not a huge fan of that personally. I I don't see myself as any different to anyone else in the sense that we both see the same game. And I, I certainly don't see my opinions as definitive. And and equally I like to be challenged as well. I really like to have my own opinion challenged and and to define my own opinions. And I think nothing does that better than than questions. Don't forget to get them in to us uh, for the Saturday morning release of the podcast. Um, you know, you can tweet us at the front three. And of course, Chris, and if people want to go and follow you, where can they go? At K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. It doesn't make you an easy name to be a journalist. But that's fair enough. <laughs> no, I know, no Johnny Smith. Yeah, um, and of, that would be the perfect name. Um, and of course, if people want to go and see Squawker Dave, uh, where can they go for you, Dave? <laughs> Lawrence, how do you spell Squawker? I think it's S Q U. I really thought this was going to go a different direction. Not gonna lie. Go on, Dave. Spell it to me. S Q U A W K A. It's the W that always gets me because I always think it's not meant to be in there because it isn't. Um, and you can find me at Lostcast. L O Z C A S T. Dave, you haven't had much of a say today because we've kind of been so interested in what Kristen has to say but Sunday we will shift it your way. Kristen is a very very interesting guy and it's always brilliant to hear about leagues that I don't really you know know about at all so I always find that you know I'm I'm a listener this time I'm a listener for the end of the show that was brilliant Kristen. You sound like his last plenty of fish review. Um, (laughs) Are you ready to listen? (laughs) Anyway until Saturday uh, it's been good to have you guys see you again later.